this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. It's soundcheck. It's soundcheck. It's soundcheck. Check, check, check. Uh, I love it. Great. <laughs> Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the first, best, and only music podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ackley. Uh, I'll be taking the reins today. Morning. Who Listen. else is here around these parts? That'd be me, Mr. Michael Livingston. Hey, yep, it's me, Brody Patoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right into this corner spittoon. And if you're watching on YouTube, this is actually the first episode of the season to have video <laughs> um, knock on synthesized plastic and i have the duds to prove it um so as you might have gotten from our intro and the episode title mm. and artwork and it's jazz day it's time to talk about jazz. <laughs> the most sophisticated of musics now today we're going to be talking about country music specifically how you as a presumed rock fan can get into it mm. um Hopefully that happens today. I know it happened for me over the last two years, and we can get into that in a second. Yeah. Um, we don't really have anything to get out of the way here first, so. Not really. I was just thinking I want to get your idea on something. Do yeah. you want me to uh, edit the intro section in, or do you want me to just have us waiting here silently while we wait for the intro to end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be great, especially since I was, like, sternly staring at the camera throughout the whole intro. <laughs> right, so check, check it on YouTube. Is it is there an intro, or is it just us sitting here? Yeah. <laughs> Let's, and report back. Yeah. And text one for yes and two for no. Well, how about we start with this? Um, as you said, this is the rocker's guide to country, which most would consider a very daunting task. Um, <laughs> Me included. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only to put the episode together, but just the stereotypes and stigmas behind country music these last, God, maybe 20, 30, 30 years. 40. Yeah, going on 40. I mean, yeah. How did you yourself, why don't you give us your personal story of how you came to this country revelation over the last two years? Um, I mean, honestly, I have dealt a lot with depression over the last two years, and um, I was looking for... I guess not specifically, not seeking it out, but I was really touched by just really honest, open, bare music. And that's what a lot of country music, specifically older country music or modern stuff that's more outside of the mainstream does. Um, it's really honest, open, and emotional, which we'll talk about. But I think there, that was something that I wasn't getting. Like, I was really into 60s garage and psych, and I was really into punk rock and, uh, like, glam and 70s am radio pop and stuff and from all that stuff like i get lots of enjoyment but you don't get the complete raw emotion mm -hmm. like just a straight line of that that you get from country music and i think that's sort of how i ended up here i'd always flirted with uh country music like i'd had you know i'd have a song here and a song there that i liked but i had never taken the dive and then i think probably uh, I, I started like dipping my toes into it and I got into some of the more country rock stuff, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about. And I was getting into Neil Young and uh, Bob Dylan's country stuff I really liked. So like there was just this sort of slow getting into it through more contempt or more like conventional rock artists. Um, and then I think I, I was already somewhat into John Prine. I had really liked his first album since high school, mm -hmm. but when he, um, and I was, I was starting to listen to him more, but when he got COVID and died, like, really soon after the pandemic started, I think that was when, like, that was sort of the final straw for me. That got me totally into him, which then opened up many, many doors. So as we talk about country stigmas, stereotypes against the artists and the people who make country, did you yourself ever ho hold some of those beliefs? And what were they? And then maybe Brody and I can share some of ours. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... We've all been, we've all in this room been people who at a time at least have held like stereotypes against different kinds of music for whatever reason. Um, and I was definitely for a while one of those people who was like, I like everything except country and rap. <laughs> um, and I think I, I had a lot of the same complaints that some people have. I have it written down here. Um, 
And a lot of this stuff comes from more modern, popular country music, but it, these rumors have been around for a long time, or these misconceptions. So a big one is that lyrics lack substance in country music. It's all cars, girls, booze, and trucks, and my dog, and just that's kind of retread those. And Oh my God, are you going to blow that out of the water today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's I've also never heard a, a dog country song. <laughs> well, there is. Uh, there are several mentions on my list today. Mm. <laughs> um, but then there's uh, always been the misconception for probably since like the 20s or 30s that country music is low class, that it's mm. for hillbillies and people who live in trailer parks and just like it's stupid, mm. dumb music, um, and that's kind of an ugly thing. There's there's lots of I mean, especially nowadays, considering who's popular in country music and how they are active in politics, there's lots of stuff like, oh, country music is wholly conservative and it's just for conservative folks or country music is totally white and it's just for white folks. Mm -hmm. um, There's, uh, especially now with the advent of bro country, there's lots of like, oh, country music is all about partying and fun in the sun and it's only for like like it's only summer music or it's kind of sexist undertones too. yeah sexist undertones um it's not varied at all every song sounds the same is mm. another big one um also i yeah so like that that's sort of formulaicness i think that's a big that's a bigger turnoff for like music people i think that, like music people who dislike country are like oh just kind of all boom 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 like, yeah. and that's it you know so there's, there was lots of stuff that I just took to be true because I didn't know anything about country music. Right. All I knew what was on the radio pretty much. Brody, did you have any of those stigmas growing up? Any differences in there? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think for, not for most country, I, I, had, already, I had always kind of, uh, maybe not actively listened to, but um, at least respected or knew that most of the stuff like pre 80s is usually pretty solid mm-hmm. and i i never held stigmas to that but yeah. like i guess like post garth brooks stuff <laughs> i kind of <laughs> i kind of held that stigma right so, so so yes and no yeah yeah what about you michael I uh, yeah, I think jumping off of what Brody's saying, there's always that um, if you're a music person, like the three of us are, you have a, a mutual respect for figures like Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and, and those like kind of house names. Um, but of course, yeah, when the 80s came around and it sort of um, got bastardized, I think that's when those stigmas started to evolve. And then we get into the stuff you had mentioned. For me, it was always like... Um, yeah, I believe the stuff about the lyrics, but it was also a musical thing for me. Every country song had a slide guitar in it. Every yeah. country song, um, or every country song had like um, some really reverby vocals or something like that, or some fake southern accent. And, yeah, and Michael hates reverby music. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken. But yes, th- those are some of the ones I believed. Yeah, and and I I so basically what we're trying to get across in this is. We have all been where you are right now, dear listener, um, <laughs> and it gets better. It does. And, and there's, there's a, a wide, wide world you're missing if you're totally against country music, and we hope to open that up a little bit. I mean, we're going to be playing yeah. 30 songs on this episode. Yeah. That's something else important to mention. My first draft, it's taken two weeks to get this episode out to you because my first draft of this playlist was 110 songs. And we could have done uh, it. And we could, we, we could have tried to set the Guinness World Record for longest podcast episode. But <laughs> <laughs> I figured uh, no one would be super committed to that. So we, we widowed it down a little bit. Um, so how about this, listener? Go into this episode with an open mind. Go in knowing that there's something here. Grab Ben by his sweaty palms yeah. and let him pull you in. Yeah, well, go, go we're in. We're all pretty sweaty here right now. <laughs> an open mind and an open heart. Yeah, we, we played our cover first, so we're kind of ruined. But um, before we get into it, just a minor caveat. This is obviously not a definitive list. Country music has been around for 100 years. 
Um, there's no way I could cover everyone. There are lots of figures that are missing. Jimmy Rogers isn't there. Hank Williams isn't in this. Um, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash I skipped, and Dolly Parton I skipped. Those two specifically because I think they're universal. Mm-hmm. That's I true. Think they if, kind of def- transcend like, the genre. Yeah, those, those are the ones where people are like, I don't like country music, but Johnny Cash is pretty good. You right. know? Yeah. Um, Merle Haggard only shows up on a duet at the end of the episode. Uh, so, like, there's lots 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 more that you can find outside of this and it's a very intimidating genre just like jazz or classical i think just because it's so old that's true um but hopefully you'll find at least a song or two and that's where i started and i think you you just sort of figure out what you like after a while i guess i'm i'm personally surprised i haven't really started my deep dive into it because i'm a i'm a big pedal steel fan yeah i was gonna say you're getting there and we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been listening to lately Mm -hmm. uh later on so I yes. think we can just get into it. Let's yeah. do it. We've been going for a few minutes here, and let's see how fast we can do it. Okay. Yeah. So this man, to country fans, needs no introduction. And hopefully to you soon, he will not need an introduction anymore. Sun went down and then you'd fill him a jug and he'd pass it around. Mighty, mighty please him, pack his corn squeezing. White lightning. Well, the team and team and revenues too. Searching for a place where he made his brew. They were looking, trying to book him, but my pappy kept on cooking. White lightning. Right now, you are hearing the greatest country singer of all time, and that is a very popular opinion. Um, ask any country singer. I think, uh, uh, par- to paraphrase a quote of Johnny Cash, when people would ask him who his favorite country singer was, he'd say, you mean besides George Jones? <laughs> George Jones is a Frank Sinatra-level character in this story. He is unabashedly the greatest country singer of all time and you just heard some of his first ever number one single white lightning white lightning and that is the power of engineering and hosting at the same time folks uh george jones had over 160 charting singles in his career including 13 country number one hits and from now on if you hear me say number one hit assume it's a country number one Mm. lots of times artists didn't cross over we'll talk about it um he, George uh, became known within the 60s and into the 70s as no-show Jones because he struggled with alcohol and alcoholism and stage fright so much. Uh, lots of times you weren't sure if you were going to get a George Jones show at all if you paid for the ticket. And even if you got a show, you weren't, show how, you weren't sure how long it was going to be, if it was going to end in a big fight on stage, uh, if he was going to leave after a song, or if it was going to be a full great show. You just never knew. Hmm. Um, so George Jones was a very temperamental, troubled figure. But he is also one of the greatest interpreters of song in music history, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is a small sampling, uh, a very small sampling, and uh, there's lots more to dig into, but what did y'all think? Was that the first George Jones song that you had heard? Um, this is not the first George Jones song that I heard. This is his first number one single, but the most important, or the, his biggest number one single is probably uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today, mm-hmm. which is a big ballad. Um, from the 70s, I think. Interesting. Yeah. So what did y'all think, George Jones? Well, you showed this to me uh, over the summer, um, and I really like it. It's, I mean, those, I love how those, maybe they're not syncopated, but those like honky-tonk pianos kind of come in like every so often. The, mm-hmm. It has like, you know, kind of like that. I love the, you know, that he's very um, clearly intoxicated while recording the vocals going. That is true. <laughs> Why lightning? <laughs> that, is, that is very true, is, especially at this point in his career uh, and onward. There was this perfect level of intoxication that George Jones could be in the studio where he wasn't <laughs> scared to sing and he would, it would get the best vocal out of him possible, but he was still intact enough to get through a song. And that's actually, you hear him uh, mess up the word slug in the first verse. That is... Uh, the only word he messes up in the song, but apparently lots of takes in Jones's career had been uh, 
ruined by stuff like that. Like if you listen to the races on, there's another mm. lyrical fumble there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes sense with the backstory that you've given about this song and then the the mythos surrounding the man. It would make sense that Johnny Cash would have a quote like that because it seems like the the country um you know, the country lore is just embodied in this man. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's he is he's extremely important. What did you what did you think of this, Michael? I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I is it is it even like a a crime to say to call country lo-fi at some points? Oh, de- it, yeah. that's definitely the case, especially with these cheaper uh, '50s records. Like George Jones was recording in some of his labels' more low-tech studios mm. um, for a lot of his early stuff, just because he wasn't a star yet. At any point in country's history, is that a conscious decision by some artists? Um, I mean, you probably get that now with like alt country and uh, like cowpunk and stuff, mm. uh, where that sort of aesthetic would be more appreciated. But generally speaking, once you get to the '60s, people really, really start trying to clean it up, and they go back to roots eventually, but not really with recording tech. Okay, that's know? mainly the questions I had. But to, to keep the episode going, it totally makes sense why you would start an episode with this and why there's so much hype around this guy. Yeah, and I think because this is at least like the um, the thesis behind this, the Rockers Guide to Country, it's very, um, it's very up tempo. Yeah, and it definitely is not as like clearly country as like it has some rockabilly yes. elements to it. So it's definitely a good one to start out with for someone who hasn't heard it. Cause I, well, I'm not saying it's not, it's not country or doesn't have any country street cred. I guess I'm just saying it, it just because of the up ness of it, it almost feels like a rock song. Yeah. So. And that says a lot about George Jones is, uh, the, the thing that was said about country singers specifically, uh, in his time was if you could hit with a song like this, that's normal. You could fizzle out right away. But if you could hit with a ballad, uh, then you were going to stick around. And oh, yeah. That's where George Jones really shines is singing ballads uh, and duets. Hmm. So if you can find some of that stuff. Um, and if you want more George Jones, before we even move on, I'm going to mention this name a few times. Greatest country music podcast on the Internet, Cocaine and Rhinestones by uh, Tyler Mahan Co., whose dad will be mentioned later. Hmm. Um, their season two is entirely focused around George Jones as like a central focal point. And I know that the the podcast is on a break right now uh, in the middle of season two because Tyler had some stuff going on in his personal life. But definitely check out what they have so far. Check out all that podcast if you're into this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to move on to uh, another extremely famous country singer, a bit older this time, and one who was an influence on George Jones, even if he didn't like his own voice very much himself. Hmm. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I got a broken heart. That's all I've got. You made me cry. I cried a lot I lost your love Baby, thanks a lot You told our friends This is Ernest Tubb, uh, who is most famous for being probably the biggest honky-tonker ever. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, honky-tonk country is basically hardcore country. It's kind of like hard walking the floor, like country country man's country music like mm. that is rough and ready bar fight music you know um ernest tubb is definitely one of the most significant figures of that he started his career in the late 30s and due to a tonsillectomy his voice became the beautiful low voice you hear today um and this is his 1964 song honey thanks a lot thanks a lot we're going to fade out on the amazing solo there. Seriously, seek that whole thing out. Um, so Ernest Tubb is significant as a honky-tonker. He's significant as a huge influence in country music. Um, this is from the 60s, so later in his career, and it's taking on a little bit more of uh, a Bakersfield sound influence, which we're going to talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. I realize there's lots of 
there's surprisingly lots of technical jargon on this episode. <laughs> um, Ernest Tubb had six number one singles in his career. What you just heard uh, was number three country, and that's actually 1963. Um, and he always had one of the best bands in the business. Uh, if you want to hear really well-played country music, really great pedal steel guitar and electric guitar and drums and bass and all of it, mm-hmm. like... He kept the best around him. You can definitely tell this is 1964 because it's the stereo is just all extreme. They're just like, fuck it, whole drum kit and right channel. Yeah, they're, they're doing the, the hard panning method, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And hearing drums on this at all, I mean, by the 60s, relatively normal, but we're going to talk about drums in mm-hmm. a little bit, too. Um, and that's a big controversy in country music, uh, too. So yeah, that, one, that one's definitely a solid song. Yeah, I, I agree. The, we, you took us from sort of fast pace, something a rocker would wec- recognize, and then you took us to, I wouldn't call this a ballad, but something a little more slowed down. Right. And I think this is a great progression um, because now we're getting a sense of um, we're, we're already starting to see these stigmas get blown away. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of tempo and musicality and stuff like that. Right. And as, as far as stigmas not getting blown away thus far, so far we do have a song about losing someone and we have a song about drinking wow. so some things you can't ever shake but. <laughs> well i guess I, I guess if if you allow me to go slightly off topic yeah it's i guess the stigma really isn't drinking because i feel like almost every genre is about drinking like i'm sure there's even jazz songs well with having no lyrics are titled after drinks Definitely. i think i think it's more just the um at least in modern mainstream bro country, yeah, um, it's more the explicit and constant references to beer, yeah, as that drink, and maybe occasionally whiskey. But and I don't know if this serves the conversation, but I don't think of a Bud Light when I hear that song. I think of a stiff, like on the rocks, hard liquor. Well, I mean, right. it's you know? about moonshine. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, moon, a moonshine running song. Yeah, yeah. so. I and mean, on, and breakup songs are universal to every genre. Yeah, so. of course. I, and I mean, it's 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 good shit so far. Is yeah. The point. Yes. Um, up next, we're going to be hearing something that you rock and roll fans might actually recognize. Um, not this version, but you might have heard a little English band, uh, a, a bit of an indie English band, cover this one back <laughs> in the '60s. Um, this is Buck Owens with "Act Naturally." <laughs> They're gonna put me in the movies They're gonna make the big star out of me We'll make the film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar can't never tell The movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well So what you're hearing right now is an example of uh, what Buck Owens pioneered, although he didn't call it this, the Bakersfield sound, which is country music with more electric instruments and a bigger focus on rhythm, specifically drums. Um, as I alluded to with the last song, uh, drums and country music have always been a big deal. Drums weren't allowed on the Grand Ole Opry stage, the biggest show in country music, until uh, Bob Wills uh, and his Playboys introduced a drum kit into their Western swing music, which is sort of a, a country and jazz fusion, mm-hmm. um, in 1944. And they were doing their first performance on the Grand Ole Opry, and they said, they brought in the drum kit, and they were like, hey, you can't perform with drums here. Like, that's just not our thing. That's not allowed. That's not country music. Can't do it. He convinced them that they could play with drums, but just keep them off stage, like behind a curtain. Um, and then they got on stage, and Bob Wills said, hey, bring that drum kit out here. <laughs> and that was the first and last time that Bob Wills and his country playboys were on the Grand Ole Opry stage. But it was also the first time that drums were ever on the Grand Ole Opry stage. Mm. Um, and since then, through the 60s, country music had a pretty fraught relationship with drums and backbeat. Like, lots of times, country musicians 
uh, it was kind of a career suicide to put drums on your recordings. It would make people think that you were a sellout, that you were a pop musician, and mm-hmm. that's all that you wanted was that mainstream crossover. You weren't real country, which has uh, authenticity has always been a really big deal in country music, similarly to punk music and uh, um, hip hop and hip hop definitely. Mm-hmm. There's another big uh, hip hop similarity we're going to talk about later, but um, this sort of drum debate uh, was really brought down specifically, finally by Buck Owens, mm-hmm. um, and him having a string of 21 number one country hits, um, mostly featuring drums. So no longer did a band have to detune one of their acoustic guitars and use that for the backbeat. Yeah. They could uh, bring a whole kit on if they really wanted to. Uh, and, of course, Act Naturally was covered uh, by the Beatles on Help. Oh, wow. Uh, I think Ringo, this might be a Ringo number. It's Ringo or George sings it, I think. Could that possibly open up a conversation about, you know, um, bands from the 60s, particularly those British invasion bands, having a really high respect for American country? Yeah, definitely. And I think we're going to hear a lot more of that specifically later on mm-hmm. um when within the 60s within the mid 60s especially you can hear bands like uh the rolling stones and the beatles have this affinity for american country music the kinks the kinks definitely and then you hear it by the end of the 60s really becoming a part of their musical language mm-hmm. yeah uh, especially for the rolling stones and the kinks would you like to keep it moving yeah we can keep on trucking um uh, let me flip my page here, and uh, we're going to have our first um, woman join the group here, you know. Uh, and this is, along with George Jones and uh, someone else we're going to talk about later, this is one of the most, she, she's, top, she's right up there for one of the most important country singers of all time, even though her career as a singer only lasted eight years. Hmm. Um, you're going to hear one of Patsy Cline's big singles. Uh, this is probably not the one you've heard before. If you've heard one of hers, it's probably Walking After Midnight. This is She's Got You. And listen for the production on this one, because this is gorgeous. I've got your picture That you gave to me And it's signed with love Just like it used to be The only thing different The only thing new I've got your picture She's got you So most of you probably just heard your first example of the Nashville sound. You're probably also very confused as to how this is country music. Well, I was actually going to say, because it really does sound like a 50s or 60s like pop song. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is the crux of a very big debate uh, in country music at this time, um, was Nashville started realizing that if they used this more grand... Um, orchestration, and they pulled back on some of the more classic country elements like pedal steel guitar, um, uh, electric guitar fiddle, especially. Mm-hmm. If, if they pulled those elements out and went for a more straightforward mainstream orchestration like this, they could have crossover appeal, which is why Patsy Cline is so important. Um, Patsy Cline had two country number one singles, two country number two singles, and four top 20 U.S. singles. Wow. So she actually did cross over. She did cross over. George Jones rarely ever crossed over, and he's one of the most important figures in country music history. So the fact that Patsy Cline was able to do this with this production showed the rest of Nashville, hey, there's a way to make even more money. (laughs) And so if you listen to a lot of the mainstream country records from Nashville from this time period, you're going to get a lot richer and bigger sound than you'd expect from country music, which actually your recommendation is... Uh, an example of the Nashville sound, Brody. Yeah. But we will talk about that later. Um, She's Got You went country number four, or went uh, number one country and number 14 pop, which is pretty unprecedented uh, for the 60s. Country music and pop music had had some crossover appeal before, but this was a big deal. We'll get into this a little more later, I imagine, but briefly, why don't you give us up to speed on the state of women in country at this time and when country first began as well, because people often think of it, I think a stigma would be it's a male-dominated genre. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely 
especially if you look at it compared to like classic rock um, or like lots of genres, uh, country music actually has a lot of women in it. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about a few more on this episode. Uh, there's always been room for women in country music. That doesn't mean they've always been treated fairly or the same as men or anything like that. But there have always been women charting in country music. That's just the way it is. I think I think that's I think it's really interesting because, as you wouldn't consider it, but I, I'd say, I don't know for a fact you can disagree with me or prove me wrong, but it seems like men and women almost are equally as popular in the genre. Yeah, and I, I there's probably a slight edge to men just because that's just kind of the way of the world. Mm-hmm. Like uh, men de- generally get promoted a little better and generally have the bigger songs overall. Right. But yeah, I mean, speak generally speaking, especially compared to if you're coming from classic rock or if you really like, you know, the seventies, like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. stuff like that, or metal or right. like all these sh- other genres, it is, it's not as dire of a picture as a lot of those other genres. Are. Right. Cause I mean like, yeah, definitely in the 60s and 70s, there were not a lot of um, women-led uh, rock bands. Right. Women are in it, and women have been in it for a long time. It's yeah. nice to know that Johnny Cash can st- share the same spotlight as as a Dolly Parton. Yeah, definitely. And that and that's just a great thing. So what did y'all think of this one? The this Nashville one I, sound. This one I really enjoyed. I liked this it, was, too. Yeah. This was what I was expecting. Yeah. Getting into it. Like, when I reached this song in the playlist, I was kind of like, okay, now I'm in it. That's one of those things, I guess, as we've we've already discussed a few minutes ago, I guess I didn't really like it as a country song. I mean, it's just a really good uh, pop song. Right. Yeah, yeah. and it, it definitely, it rides that line really well. If you want to hear more about the uh, Nashville sound and all that, Cocaine and Rhinestones, you got to check it out. It's mm-hmm. free. Um, <laughs> listen so, to this podcast. First. Yeah, listen to the, get get through this one, and then you can dive way deeper on this shit than I could ever take you. Um, so coming up next, next we have uh, "Once a Day" by Connie Smith. Yes, this is a truly fantastic song, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it after we play it. <laughs> I never would forget you, for I thought then I never could. But time has taken all the pains away. Until now, I'm down to hurt once a day, once a day. not going to believe it but patsy klein's biggest influence or connie smith's biggest influence is probably patsy klein oh yeah definitely this one's definitely more obviously country right this is kind of an example of uh the middle ground where Mm -hmm. you're getting uh the nashville sound elements like the vocal chorus but also you have the pedal steel like right up front and center she has she has the pedal pedal steel i'm sorry um, she also has, um, she kind of has a bit of a drawl, southern draw mm-hmm. to her voice. Yeah, um, yeah. I, this I we we were talking uh, prior to the podcast, and I told you this is probably my favorite uh, new discovery from the podcast. Or it's from up the there playlist. for me too. Yeah, and, and this also um, cleared the way for me to understand the backing vocals on some of these tracks you got in here. I love. Uh, I love it whenever it makes an appearance on these songs, man. Mm-hmm. Like, is is that gospel influence? Like, where does that come from? Um, that go- gospel. That's a pretty good guess. Uh, there's there's always been a group singing influence on country music, whether it's uh, music from the Sacred Harp, which is old hymnals and uh, stuff, or uh, we're going to talk about next uh, Charlie Leuven, uh, one of the Leuven brothers, and they have great examples of harmony singing in their music. So harmony has always been a big deal in country music yeah. and having that, that group vocal element, I would say coming from gospel, that's probably a pretty good guess. Awesome. Um, but Connie Smith, absolutely fabulous. Once a day was her first, uh, number one hit 
country. Uh, and it held number one country for eight weeks, which is a record that was held for over 50 years, um, that longevity on the charts by a woman. Um, and this is, yeah, this is another good example of the Nashville sound. And actually, topical, this year, uh, Once a Day was selected to be added to the National Recording Registry. Wow, that's uh, awesome. So this is a big deal song. And I think this is, on this uh, episode, this is the first truly great example of great country songwriting. It has that sort of, this, this is one of the big things that attracted me to the genre, is it has that um, the bait and switch. Mm element like it's a little it's a playful sort of song where she's like oh i'm so lucky like i only cry once a day now after losing you but she cries all day yeah it just never stops <laughs> so it is once a day once a day all day long day, all day long from <laughs> dust to lawn so uh, it, this this is the kind of stuff that that really attracted me to country music and i'm really glad to hear uh this song stuck out to y'all yeah um this next one is Definitely, it, it wasn't really a big hit. Um, I just wanted to bring this one in because this is one of my personal favorites. I really love this uh, riff on here. I think this is just a great little uh, Bakersfield sound sort of moment by Charlie Leuven. See the big man cry. The other day I walked out on the street I happened to see a pretty young woman, a little bitty boy, and he looked back at me. See the big man cry, mama, that's what I heard him say. See the big man cry, mama, he looks like his heart will break. I followed them to a pet shop window. So this is uh, a song some could in her, in, uh, interpret as creepy about uh, the main character uh, finding his uh, ex-wife and estranged child on the street and sort of shambling along behind them sadly and thinking, like just crying, following them, and his kid noticing and saying, see the big man cry. Uh, and it's it's a fucking, like, tear your heart out of your chest kind of song. And this is a lot of the stuff that really attracted me to the genre. So canonically, does the boy know that he's his dad? No. Whoa. Yeah. That's some, that's some deep lore. It's dark the, shit. Well, the story of, uh, story writing of, of country music is something to be talked about as well. Right. Yeah. There's definitely other than the only place with as much, uh, like story song mm -hmm. as country music is probably, like 70s singer-songwriter, which is heavily influenced by country right. music. Um, and the, yeah, there, there are lots of songs that will follow a very clear narrative like this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something else that really appeals to me. So it makes sense that I got here. Uh, so Charlie Leuven was a member of the Leuven Brothers with his brother. Um, and they recorded a lot of famous gospel recordings. Uh, their, their recordings are great, and they're a really good example of what's called Blood Harmony, which is an almost uh, ESP esque yeah. uh, concept where um, if you grow up with someone and you've been singing with them your whole life, you can kind of anticipate their next move. And it creates some really magical moments in singing that can barely be like contained by recording equipment. Like mm -hmm. there are lots of times where their voices are just working so perfectly together. You can hear like mic capsules kind of start to distort on their recordings. It's just really wow. magical stuff, but they both dealt with their own demons and both of the brothers have good solo stuff. Uh, I believe Ira was his brother's name and he has a great, um, a great solo recording called bottom of the bottle. He dealt with alcoholism a lot. So that was a really personal song for him. Um, but yeah, see the big man cry went number seven country in 1965. And you're definitely hearing sort of the same kind of country music that Buck Owens and Ernest Hub were making around that time. Um, and that's, uh, it's, it's just a great example of that story songwriting and that songwriting from that period of time. Check out my new death metal album, Blood Harmony. I was going to say, that's a great <laughs> band name. <laughs> Definitely. But I think we can move on yes. to uh, another extremely famous figure in country music. Uh, this is Tammy Wynette with, if you've heard this song, I would not be surprised. It is on the soundtrack for GTA V. D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Oh, yeah, this one's a great one. 
something to tell you <laughs> it's not your fault <laughs> i got a question what's the, what's the word she spells after toy uh surprise oh mm. i see so yeah this is a great little concept about how lots of times parents will spell stuff out around their kids because they don't want them getting excited right right um and this is them ex- like arguing but spelling everything out so their kid doesn't get what's going on yeah and this is one of those Good old-fashioned country heartbreakers you'd hear uh, on a sad Friday night in a dark, dingy bar with a whiskey in your hand. Well, I think it's a good example also of country being able to take these, like, small slice-of-life moments and turn them into, like, really beautiful songs that make you think about, like, things a little more than you normally would, you know? Right. It's definitely—it's truly a crushing song, and no surprise, coming from Tammy Wynette— uh, a little history on her, one of the best-selling female singers uh, of the late 60s, early 70s. Um, definitely one of the top country singers of all time. Uh, known as the first lady of country music, uh, due in part due to her marriage to George Jones in the late 60s, early 70s. They recorded lots of great duets during that time period. Um, just truly fabulous stuff. But she had 17 number one country singles uh, over George Jones. Uh, and this was one of them. This was uh, one of the earlier ones, I believe. Is just... this about her divorce of George Jones? Um, I don't think so. It, it, it probably did spell out <laughs> what would happen later, though. Um, and, and, yeah, no, no one could stay with George Jones for very long. If you get into his backstory, he'd be a rough guy to even hang out with. So, um yeah, I mean, just a fabulous song. I agree. Yeah, this yeah. one, this one was a, uh, this one kind of hit me out of nowhere in the playlist because it was like, you know, I'm listening to all these songs and then in the track list I get, you know, all capital letters, divorce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, okay. I get all capital letters. And I'm like, what does this spell? Yeah. <laughs> if only I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're gonna be moving out of the classic straight-laced straight-ahead country music genre we're getting away from the bakersfield sound we're getting away from honky-tonk we're getting away from the nashville sound um and we're going to talk about a few little alternatives here uh to your straight-ahead country music and this is the stuff i think is really going to appeal to rock fans um coming up first we have a song that is one of the great songs of all time i believe Written by Jerry Jeff Walker, released in 1968, Mr. Bojangles. Knew a man Bojangles and he danced for you. And worn-out shoes, silver hair, ragged shirt and baggy pants. The old soft shoe. You jump so high, you jump so high. 
Jerry Jeff Walker is a personal favorite of mine. He passed away, I think, this past this, year. Yeah, this past year. Yeah. So you might have heard a little bit more about him as of late. But he is one of the great country songwriters, one of the great uh, outlaw country artists, which we're going to talk about a lot more. Um, this this is his best known work, and I think rightfully so. I really love uh, Viva Terling- Terlingua, I believe it's called, which is a part studio, part live album that he did. Um, I've brought songs from that on the show before. But this song about a uh, drunk, down-and-out dancer who he met or maybe didn't meet uh, in a prison, uh, in a holding cell, a drunk tank in New Orleans, I believe, yep. um, back way back when, might be true, might not be, doesn't really matter. It's one of the great additions to... American music. We're also stumbling into my favorite song on the entire playlist, which you probably saw coming. And you hit the nail on the head with saying this is definitely going to appeal for those rockers because, and and, and not necessarily rockers as in the because this one's a barn burner. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> people people who kind of like the um, like the Nick Drakes of the world or something mm. like that. For me, when I listened to the song, I got finally understood the meaning of when dinosaur jr said they wanted to be ear bleeding country because mm-hmm. this song sounds like a really stripped back dinosaur jr song i can almost hear jay mascus singing it i can hear the guitar leads he was inspired by and stuff i'd like really that. like to hear that yeah honestly and yeah i think we were talking about how like a lot of early country well this isn't early country but like was kind of lo-fi yeah like he had mentioned uh, nick drake and i think um his voice a little bit kind of reminds me of Nick Drake, at least on this song. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the production reminds me a lot of, like, um, Elliot Smith's early yeah. work. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I can see that. This is definitely, this is one of those songs that sounds of its time and timeless at the same time. Yeah. Like, there's no way that you could totally, truly record it like this outside of when it was recorded. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like like a sound that people would be very happy to achieve today. Yes, yes. And I don't know why it's as lo-fi as it is. I assume it was just recorded on the cheap. It's also, it was put out on Atco Records, which is weird because they're generally more of a rock label. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's truly great. Seek out his stuff if you can. Pissing in the Wind uh, is a really funny, great song. Um, Jerry Jeff Walker was a super funny guy and just a super creative, great songwriter. And you will be rewarded by listening to his stuff. Yes. Um, So up next, we are going to burn some barns here with the country soul of Jim Ford and the opening track from his 1969 album, Harlan County, Harlan County. In the back hills of Kentucky, I was raised in a shack on Big Bone Mountain. fade this one down for us to talk about it because there's something i'm gonna have to fade back in here okay a great bridge on this song um but jim ford is one of the few purveyors of funky country music mm-hmm. um which is a very rewarding genre of itself what did y'all think of this i love this one. Oh, me too these horns man that's what did it for me did not expect to find any of that on the playlist yeah so i mean this is this is big deal stuff and you wouldn't call this mainstream country necessarily okay hold on we are gathered here today to ask the Lord to take us out of Harlan County. 
I just listening to that one in the car. I've probably almost gotten in an accident before. Just that that breakdown and that he screams, "Take us out of Harlan County!" at the end of that bridge, and God, it just totally works for me. But Jim Ford's music, um, I believe Sly Stone called Jim Ford uh, the realest white man in the world. <laughs> so if that doesn't give you what you need to know about him, I don't know what will. Uh, it's just good music, folks. Yeah. yeah. And, and country music is totally malleable. It can totally be as straight-laced as something like George Jones or Buck Owens, but it can also be mixed up with many other genres. Will we hear more of this in the playlist? And if not, uh, what are some other country funk that people can check out? That's hard to say. Jim Ford is definitely one. Um, oh, God. there's Who's the guy? He was on the soundtrack to a Tarantino movie. I'll think about it. I will I will come up with it later. Okay. But there there are a few artists you can find, but really it's a, a an underutilized genre generally. So if you're a music person, I mean get on it. If you if you do want to I haven't checked it out myself, but uh if you do want more of it, uh Light in the Attic uh does put out uh they do have three country funk uh compilations, mm-hmm. which I know at the very least Two and three are on Bandcamp, mm-hmm. so uh, if you if you're interested in it, go check those out. There you go, folks. Yes, and I believe those are those are widely known as very good. So yeah, if you're into that, there's a lot more where that came from. I can't totally enlighten you on it, but it's out there. Um, coming up next is another massive song, one that was massive enough to inspire a movie, um, and uh, Jim Ford erroneously lied and said that he wrote this song. Uh, he didn't. Nick Lowe believes he did. He didn't. This is not a Jim Ford song. This is a Bobby Gentry song, and we'll get into it a little more afterwards. Um, but here's Ode to Billy Joe. And seek this whole one out. Pause and find it if you can. Because you got to hear what people were so worked up about when they first heard it. Was it there? June, another sleepy, dusty Delta day. I was out chopping cotton and my brother was baling hay. And at dinner time, we stopped and walked back to the house to eat. And mama hollered at the back door, y'all remember to wipe your feet. And then she said, I got some news this morning from Choctaw Ridge. Today, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Papa said to Mama as he passed around. So, I mean, musically, you get the idea. Bobby Gentry strums her guitar, those strings come in and really illustrate the thing. And uh, you hear more and more about the mystery of Billy Joe McAllister and why he did what he did. Or you can kind of guess why he did what he did, but you never really know. Wait, it's been a second. Why did he do what he did? (laughs) Well, that is uh, one of the reasons this song was so popular, Brody. Oh. So basically, the story of it goes, and please, I beg of you, if you haven't heard this, pause, listen to the whole thing, come back. The story goes, Billy Joe McAllister... And uh, Bobby Gentry, well, not Bobby Gentry, but the speaker, um, hung out. They seem to have had some sort of thing that's implied, some sort of romantic thing. We don't really know what. And we know that Billy Joe McAllister last week and someone who looked a lot like the speaker were seen throwing something off the Tallahatchie Bridge, which just today, Mm -hmm. Billy Joe McAllister jumped off of and killed himself. Uh. Ah. And we don't know... It was never officially revealed what they were throwing off the bridge. Some people say flowers. Some people say a body. Some people say a baby. Um, There's all kinds of options, but we don't really know. Um, But it was in part this mystery that made the song as big of a deal as it was. But what it really was is the masterful songwriting. Mm. This is a great example of songwriting, and this is one of the most imagery heavy songs i've ever heard especially in that second verse you get oh like papa said to mama as he passed around the black-eyed peas and they're all 
talking about this death and like, oh, it's such a shame, but like he was a bad kid and it was going to happen anyway and blah, blah, blah around dinner. And you're hearing them nonchalantly passing dishes around and I'll oh, pass the biscuits here and do this and that mm-hmm. as they're talking about this person that killed themselves. And the speaker's just getting more and more dejected because obviously there was something more to their relationship. They knew each other intimately somehow, but we don't really know. Um, this eventually inspired a movie. Ode to Billy Joe uh, was Bobby Gentry's biggest single. Um, it was actually, it, it charted, uh, or she charted as an artist 11 times on the Hot 100, which means she was almost more of a pop artist than a country artist. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but this was actually originally recorded as a demo, and the only reason Bobby Gentry sings on it is because it was cheaper for her to just go into the studio and track it as a demo than to pay someone else to sing on her demo. Mm-hmm. Capital Record execs heard it. Um, they overdubbed those cinematic strings on it and released it as a single. Wow. And the rest is history. So there are lots of little moving parts there that if one thing went wrong, Bobby Gentry would not have had this big hit. But she did, and she went on to release a string of great albums into the mid-'70s and then just get bored and retire. <laughs> have you? Uh, is the film that uh, was inspired by this worth watching? Um, I have... It, it might be worth seeking out. I've heard maybe, and that, that does happen in country music. There's like Cole Miner's Daughters, another song inspired by, or a film inspired by a song. I, don't, I mean, check it out if you like the song, but definitely check out this album. If there's one thing I can say, there's only one thing I can say negative about it, which is uh, Bobby Gentry really loves that strumming pattern. That <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's on more than half the songs. But the songwriting is so strong and her voice so soulful, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I wanted to mention, actually, the first time I heard this, uh, I didn't really dig it. Um, mostly just because at the introduction, I feel like the strumming pattern and uh, the strings kind of oppose each other mm-hmm. in the key the guitar is in. So like, when, I, when the intro, I was just kind of like, What's, oh, yeah. It, yeah, what's this, it going for? Yeah. I, I'm really confused. But then as the song progressed, I was like, oh, this is really good. Mm-hmm. So I do like it. They're definitely at war at first. And you can hear mm-hmm. the strings aren't playing a super conventional part. Mm-hmm. They're playing kind of what a score would be in the movie. Like they're talking about, oh, he jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. And you hear him kind of fall mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's like a, a very strange cinematic element to it this is odd music it's not totally straight ahead songwriting and it's definitely not straight ahead production either i just want to reiterate as as i finished the song i really really did like it yeah if you have your own theories about the uh the death of billy joe yeah send them (laughs) leave it in the comments what did they throw off the tallahatchie bridge figure it out and let us know Uh, i don't know and i don't actually really care bobby gentry didn't care i don't think she knew either or maybe she did and did, just never let us did, know. Did Miss Gentry write this song? She did. Wow. She did. Um, any any claims to anything otherwise are lies. I guarantee you that. This is Bobby Gentry through and through. Speaking of great country songwriters, you're about to hear, if there was a Mount Rushmore of country songwriters, probably the first face on there would be the, the face of this next man, Chris Christopherson. And this is his... One of his greatest, Sunday morning coming down. Well, I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head, didn't hurt. And the beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. Then I fumbled through my closet for my clothes and found my cleanest dirty shirt And I shaved my face and combed my hair and stumbled down the stairs to meet the day I'd smoked my brain the night before on cigarettes So I mean 
I mean, it mentioned beer, so yeah, I was gonna so say kind of a kind of a stinker. Yeah, kind of a bro country song. <laughs> How many songs are we in so far, though? And this is our first mention of beer. Twelve. Well, there you go, folks. Yeah, or eleven. Yeah, yeah. Well, please, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I mean silly joke. This is truly great. I'm going to fade it back in in a second for the chorus. What did y'all think of this one? Well, I think like many people, I uh, I am. I was very much familiar with the uh, Johnny Cash version. Yeah. But this one, I will say, while the Johnny Cash ver- version is great, I think this one kind of lends itself to a, a much more intimate vocal performance. Let's hear a little bit more of that. The Sunday morning sidewalks Wishing Lord that I was There's something in a Sunday Makes a body feel alone And there's nothing short of dying Half as lonesome as the sound On the sleeping city sidewalk Sunday morning coming down. But like, like you know, you—he's like almost like groaning, and like you hear his like voice crack, especially mm. in that chorus when he hit uh, "Alone." I think, yeah, like it's just like a lot more. While Johnny Cash's voice is uh, beautiful on his cover, I mean, it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very. It's just like he almost like recorded it as he was thinking, yeah. you know? Right. He totally owns it, definitely. Mm-hmm. I would add that this is the first song that sort of uh, reminded me to the um, the '90s sort of uh, you know slacker rock or country influenced slacker rock guys that we cherish so much, like David Berman or you know Steve Malcolmus and stuff like that. That's I got the same vibe I would get from one of their songs from this one. Mm. That's something important to mention too. Is uh, like David Berman very heavily influenced by a lot of this stuff, mm. for sure, um, and. Also significant, because I believe this is our first uh, mention of being stoned thus far, mm-hmm. which that that's another conception about country music that I didn't bring up, but we will definitely get into it a lot more uh, here yeah. as we go on. Um, up next, we have something in a similar vein. Um, the great... May I, may I give a quick Christofferson, like, kind of weird, kind of that's connected to music? It's yeah. a bit off topic. Yeah. So... There's this um, Leonard Cohen song called uh, Chelsea Hotel Number no. 2, mm-hmm. and he recounts the time that he uh, and Janis Joplin were really, really good friends <laughs> um, <laughs> in that hotel one day. And he has one line, uh, you told me again you preferred handsome men, but for me you would make an exception, because that day... Janice, Miss Janice Joplin was looking for Mr. Christofferson, who's a very attractive young man in his prime, uh, to be really, really good friends with. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I thought it was a cute little fact. Definitely. So Chris Christofferson missed out, and we got a great Leonard Cohen song out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in the same singer-songwriter vein, we're going to keep moving firmly Feet firmly planted in Outlaw Country now. Um, And once we get to this artist, I think I'll explain Outlaw Country a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But this is uh, one of the great, I think, sort of buddy cop Western kind of songs. I don't really know how to explain it. I just know that this is just a, a fabulous song. Seek out any version of it you can find. Living on the road, my friend What's gonna keep you free and clean? Now you wear your skin like iron And your breath's as hard as kerosene You weren't your mama's only boy But her favorite one, it seems She began to cry when you said goodbye Sank into your dreams Well, Poncho was a bandit, boys His horse was fast as polished steel 
wore his gun outside his pants for all the honest world to feed. So this is uh, Poncho and Lefty. This is actually one of the first country songs I ever got into, freshman year. I had a friend that I played guitar with, and he was super into this. Um, and he got me into Towns Van Zant, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. Towns Van Zant is amazing. Towns Van Zant is amazing, definitely. Uh, promptly featured at the end of one of the great movies of all time, The Big Lebowski. Personal favorite as of the last few months for me. <laughs> but Towns Van Zant, specifically Poncho and Lefty, what did you all think of this one? I love this one. It, may I ask, uh, this may come out of left field, is there any inspiration from this song going into uh, Great Weekends on a certain vocal refrain? Ah, great Weekends. Uh, one of the famous Kindness Texas songs. Yeah. Not consciously, but I can hear where you're coming from. Yeah, I love this one, though, uh, to get back on topic. It was just like... I don't know what it is about like the impro. This is when I finally clicked that like a lot of country music is improvisational, improvisational, mm-hmm. um, like that. And I realized that the bass and the acoustic guitar playing underneath um, some of these outlaw country tracks is a lot more complicated than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, uh, and that you'll hear that on our cover today. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this track. Yeah, Brody, I was already familiar. You were already familiar. And I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I saw it on the playlist, I was like, ugh. I know I said I love Towns Van Zant earlier, so this is going against my earlier statement, but skip. Skip. More like <laughs> Bado and Lefty. <laughs> oh. No, I love this song. The song is great. Towns Van Zant is great. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say other than it's it's amazing. Yeah, I, there's there's not really much to say it's about it. It's honestly probably one of the greatest songs of all time. Okay, folks, so this is the end of part one of our two-parter, Rocker's Guide to Country. Come back next week for part two, where we're going to delve a lot more into outlaw country, more modern stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and the train's just going to keep a-rolling. So make sure to come back for that next week, and we'll see you then. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>